Welcome back to episode 23 of the Mere Christianity book study here at Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church. And I am Pastor Dan, joined by my daughter Bethany, and we are discussing Mere Christianity by Clive Staples Lewis, otherwise known by his friends as Jack. Why do they call him Jack? Because he said so. That's the story. He was five or six years old, told everybody he wanted to be called Jack, and that's what they called him ever since. So, you know, go figure. Anyway, um, this is uh, no doubt an indication of why he remained and will always be a wonderful independent thinker. Mm-hmm. So we'll call it that. We are in uh, book three and chapter 12, which is faith part, you part two. I couldn't help myself. Um, it's the end of book three. Book three, chapter 12. It's the last of the chapters in book three. So that's good news, I guess. It means we're making progress. So we've got one more book. Uh, this is, as I say, episode 23. It's being recorded on August 29th. And uh, here we go. So chapter 12 continues on about faith in the second and higher sense. And Lewis starts by saying that if this chapter doesn't mean anything to you, then just drop it. If the previous chapter and the appendix did not assist in understanding your transition from the ought to the practicing of the virtues, then come back to this chapter at another time. So there is, uh, there are a great many things that cannot be understood until after you have gone a certain distance along the Christian road. Now, I, I like that, that interpretation, but I've always said it a different way, and, and not that one is better than the other, but I just always say to people, there are certain things you're not going to understand until you make that leap of faith, mm-hmm. that, that it's as though you possess within you the capacity to comprehend certain things, but you have to give in faith authority over to God to activate those things. It's, it's like, you know... Um, a quote that I've used probably way too much over the last 20 years or so is the quote by St. Anselm of Canterbury, who says, in my words, not his, I do not uh, seek understanding in order to have faith. I have faith in order to seek understanding. You know, that, that faith informs the understanding better than understanding informs the faith. Mm-hmm. So everybody's looking he's, at it a different way, but it's well. But I think he's also saying, if if you have never even cared to think these questions, yeah. this is there's no point in this for you because you're not you don't have the capacity mm-hmm. right now to go there, and you because you don't care about it. It's not it's not insulting or in any way condescending to converse with somebody about matters of faith. And then begin to realize that they aren't where you are or aren't really interested in being where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so better to cut both of your losses. Um, and then there are those people who just want to bait you into an argument so that they can say, 
well, that's bogus. I don't believe it. And what people do that to me, and it hasn't happened lately, but in the past, if somebody did that to me, I just look at them and say, you know what? You're wasting my time and you're wasting your time. Um, you're not going to change my mind and I'm not going to change yours. And it probably wasn't your intention in the first place to have your mind affected. You just were looking for a, an opportunity to be pugnacious. Mm -hmm. Is that the right word? I don't think so. Mm. There's probably a better word out there. Truculent. Sure. There's that a works. good word. Yeah. Truculent. You were looking for an opportunity to be truculent. I can think of a much simpler word. But... A jerk. <laughs> and then there's just words we're not going to use on right. our, our, our virtual church uh, classroom. So... <laughs> So explain what Lewis is seeking to clarify in these five statements. So number one is, I mean, really discovered. What he's seeking to clarify? Yeah. I feel like you jumped on me. Did this I? Keeps, well, this is, I don't know. I mean, it, it's basically. I mean, he goes into talking like he. You know, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just. Putting there are five statements he makes in this chapter, and uh, our study guide is challenging us to to try to understand what he means well, by okay, each of those study five guide statements. Jumped then because there's like three or four paragraphs before that. That's why I said whoa. All right. Well, then the one of the one of the reasons that we do this is so that we might engage our critical thinking skills and therefore if you have some critical thought that you want to express regarding paragraphs preceding those in which our uh, to which our study guide is addressing itself i'd say go for it well I don't know about that. I just know that he spends, I mean, if he devoted three paragraphs to talking about this, this idea that we started talking about, then I think it probably is significant All because right. he says he spends a lot of time talking about the fact that like, if there's something you come up against when you're reading something theological or even the Bible and you can't make heads or tails of it then you shouldn't keep digging at it because maybe it's not the right thing for you right now. And so he talks about like sometime, you're, maybe even years later, you may come back to it and be like, oh, yeah, now I get it. But then if you keep digging and picking away at it, it probably is going to end up doing harm rather than good, which I think is really an important thing to remember. That it's okay if you're not totally remembering it right now. Or understanding it is the better thing to say. Um, and he just, like I said, he spends like the first three paragraphs of the chapter talking about that. Um, I mean, and I think, I guess in a study guide that was sort of uh, just covered briefly in, in a sort of starting paragraph. So let, let's just look at it. Okay, so whenever you find any statement in Christian writings which you can make nothing of, don't worry. Right. Leave it alone. There will come a day, perhaps years later, when you suddenly see what it meant. If one could understand it now, it would only be to your harm. It would only right. do harm. So, yeah. Um, 
I think I think his his grace is is uh, really nicely expressed there because he's not just saying that as a matter of grace, but he is. He's he's saying you know if if the purpose of the book, as he's indicated, is to help you understand just basically what Christianity is, mm-hmm. the first parts of it you still don't get. That's okay, you know. And and that to me, I think, is one of the reasons that Christianity is so unique in all of human history because it gives you permission to not know everything, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and he also, I think, it also demonstrates his humility because from that what you just read, he goes on to say, "I just made that statement, and it goes against me too because if anything, like, because the things I'm about to talk about in this chapter." I might think I understand, and I may not be at that point yet. Mm-hmm. And he says, so, you know, I can only rely on Christians who are ahead of me and their understanding of these things yeah. to keep an eye out and help me know if I've gone wrong. And if you're not at that same place with me yet, then take all of that what he's saying with a grain of salt because maybe he's not where he should be although i think he probably is right on so right yeah which i I, think is really good to remember none of us are the actual authority yeah in in in, uh yeah yeah i i'm kind of like uh reflecting on something he says in that fourth paragraph that's kind of intrigued me because I'm, I'm right now in my personal study. I've been listening to the journals of John Wesley, and what's really interesting is, is you know, Wesley had uh, a, an, an exceptional education. He was really smart, and yet there were so many things about being a Christian he didn't understand for a long time. And when you look at an equally intelligent intellectual. Uh, I'd say that C.S. Lewis, if they, if if C.S. Lewis and and John Wesley had existed in the same time frame, they would have been well matched. They they could have they could have had great discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, Lewis has taken the exact opposite approach to acquiring the faith that Wesley did. And I think it has everything to do with the fact that Wesley was raised. In a Christian home, in an Anglican home, he had every reason to think that he possessed everything that you should possess in order to be a Christian, except for the faith. Mm-hmm. That was what he lacked. Mm-hmm. And Lewis is an atheist who comes to faith and then begins to embrace intellectually all of the aspects of Christianity that. You know, so it's really interesting. I just, I think, you know, they're both, they're both coming from similar backgrounds, but the one fundamental difference is, is one thinks that he should already know it all. Mm-hmm. The other one knows he doesn't know it all. Mm-hmm. And who got faith first? Mm-hmm. You know, because Wesley did come to faith. He, his Aldergate experience was that moment when he realized that he really just had a living faith. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, everything he had already learned made sense, which I think yeah. is what Jack's trying to tell right. us. Yeah, like later you're going to go, oh, okay. Yeah. So, all right. So what does he mean by 
I mean, really discovered. Well, what he's referring to is that, like, he's the thing he's talking about being discovered is our personal bankruptcy. Like, because he spends the paragraph before that talking about the fact that <laughs> you don't get into. I think I just said it about Wesley. Doy. You don't get into that true right relationship with God until you are aware of your own bankruptcy. Yeah. That everything you own, he already owns. It's not yours. And. I mean, Wesley scholars and, would disagree with me on this because I'm not a Wesley scholar. I just listen to his journals and read his sermons and things and read his history and all of that. And what I realized right this minute is, is that, that the answer to the question, I mean, really discovered, yeah. is that's when you realize that you didn't know everything. Yeah. It, you know. Well, you find out, he says you find out through experience. Yeah. So you may have heard those things, but you don't have that, like, hit you between the eyes kind of thing, like Aldersgate. Having your heart strangely warmed. Yes. Yeah. So how about, do not, I implore you, start asking yourselves, have I reached that moment? Yeah. Um, He says if you do that, you get in trouble, you're on the wrong track, because... You're, like, too busy. You're too busy, like, paying attention, like, overly paying attention to what's going on in your own brain that you're probably missing more than getting. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, maybe not in the same sense as what he's talking about here, but I think a lot of people have had that, like... Who I'm too much in my own head right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and and uh, again, I I'm thinking about John Wesley because he talks about his experience when he sailed in his journals. He reflects mournfully on his experience of sailing to Georgia to be a missionary, and on the way there, they encounter some horrible weather. And he's really disgusted with himself because the Moravians on board the boat have this peace about them and this confidence that whatever happens, live or die, they're okay. And he's terrified. And there are several times on that part of his, uh, in that part of his life where he's traveling and uh, kind of finding his true calling where he is talking about how he's afraid i mean and he's really troubled by the fact that he fears for his life as often as he does and so uh this does the the reason i say this is is that later in his life he will write a lot about assurance um he'll relate to that and communicate ideas about what it means to have assurance and i think that this is this is again is some is something that that it's a different sound than I usually hear. Well, that's the uh, sound of the doorbell ringing at the church office. Ah. So, <laughs> anyway, sorry, friends. <laughs> uh, I was trying to figure out. So it means like some if kind you ring alert. the doorbell at the church office, wherever I am, even the GHM studios, I will know you are there. 
Now, anyway, so so when he, he says, start asking yourself, have I reached that moment? I was just thinking about how Wesley, you know, talks a lot about assurance later because he he's wrestled with that. He He found himself trying to figure out whether or not he actually had reached the point of faith. And, you know, it wasn't so much something that, like, you check off a series of things on your checklist and when you've acquired all the necessary mm-hmm. check boxes you are officially a person of faith which is exactly what religion does by the way religion does exactly that well lewis's example he says something about like a guy doesn't like stop what he's doing in the middle of doing something and go oh look i grew up i'm growing up right now <laughs> and it, that, but that you can look back and it made me, there's this really, really cute video of this little boy. He's probably like four or five years old and he's sitting, you've seen it. He's sitting like on a coffee oh, yeah, table yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's squeezing he's, his yeah. whole body yeah. and gritting his teeth. And, and it's so cute because they ask him what he's doing and he says, I'm growing up. I'm trying to grow up. And it's just the cutest thing ever yeah. because he's a little kid and he doesn't get it. But this is, you know, he's talking about grown ups who still... Unfortunately, I think there are grown-ups out there who are like, look at me, I'm growing up, instead of focusing on what's actually happening and then looking back and going, hey, I really grew through that experience. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think the ironically, the more grown-up you get, the more you realize you're not all that grown-up. Yes. This is what I think. But <laughs> so, so Lewis says, I know the words, leave it to God can be misunderstood Mm -hmm. what is he saying there he's so um i'm trying to collect my brain sorry um he talks about like yes a christian should like put their trust in christ Um, but I think he, like, he also talks about like that being part of obedience and sometimes leave it to God turns into like not doing anything. Yeah. I mean, because you're just saying like, Oh, God's, God's going to handle it for me. Right. And then you're not being proactive either. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I was. See, I think I think what what Lewis is is saying by that, and I think as I remember how it is in the book, is is I would equate it to this. He's basically saying that your best is good enough, mm-hmm. but doing your best is still required. Yeah. The and and so in a nutshell, what he's saying is is that before. Christ entered into your life your best wasn't good enough and no matter how well you do at anything there's always somebody that can do it better and there's always somebody who will be more than happy to put you down and tell you that you are not doing it well enough and then after Christ comes into your life you realize that your best is good enough and out of a a sense of respect and duty to Christ you continue to strive to do your best, and every day you hope you're doing your best a little better. Mm-hmm. And yet you are also confident that your best is good enough. 
you know, and that really does change the whole paradigm. That That's kind of how I read that. But he also, I, the sense that I got was that he says, like, you're not supposed to stop striving. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not supposed to, because unless you have tried really hard, you can't be like, okay, now I'm good. Mm-hmm. I can stop. <laughs> like, you have to put in the effort. I'm not going to get started, Bethany, on one of my favorite rants. Um simply because I probably wound people every time I do it in public. And, and it's really just to say that my rant is, is usually a much more uh, extravagant version of the phrase that I'm going to say, which is there's an awful lot of people in the pews at church every week who just aren't trying. Yeah. That somehow they think they arrived a long time ago at whatever it was that they associate with church and religion. And most of the time that means that they can say things like Jesus saves, you know, whatever. But the, I'm amazed at how many people go to church every Sunday who aren't even trying. But then the other thing that I see too with that is it's not just church, like there are so many people who are just going through the motions. Yeah, you're right. With everything. And, I'll, and I'll obviously, like, we're talking about faith, which means we're, we should be talking about what's what happens in the church. But there's so many people that I think just, like, it's not, they're not living. Yeah. Because they don't, they're, they're past the point of caring and trying. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. They're just, they're just kind of trying to have some fun while they can and then when they can't they're just going to sit around and wait to die well like i can't i mean i have to be careful here but we were discussing the other day about a co-worker of a member of our family mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what that person's deal is and why they haven't been asked to leave this position that they're in because they aren't doing anything but it's almost like maybe at one point they did try a little harder in their job and now they're just comfortable and complacent and they don't care mm-hmm. because they did what they needed to do to get the, you know, get the pension. Yeah. And now they're just sitting around, but apparently they did enough at some point to get, to not get fired <laughs> later. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard it much lately, but there was, there was a mantra that I heard regularly when I was new in ministry in the first couple of churches that we served where I would ask people over a certain age, can you give us a hand with this or that? And they would say, I did all that back in the day. Let someone else do it. I'm done. Hmm. I used to hear that all the time. And I would always think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So so at some point, you've sort of gotten off the train. Yeah. (laughs) And... Like, well, I put my time in. You know, as though this is about something other than... But there again, it's it ties into the rant, which is why I got to stop and move on. Because because one of my rants is, is that there are people out there who have all of their lives thought of church in a particular way. And that is as a social entity, as a... As a mm-hmm club or a franchise or something like that and they really don't understand why someone like me would say 
I think you're supposed to work hard at expressing your love for Christ through the church until you can't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, that that's kind of the whole point of the church. I but do feel like I see it less at our church. I Oh, Shiloh is exceptional. There's, there's a lot of, like... Shiloh I is don't really see exceptional. Like that very often. Um, I and can I just say I think that, it would be so boring? Yeah, I happen to I believe would, that oof. people at Shiloh could slip into that. I I sort of think it's the default setting. I think I think if you don't constantly work at it, even a place like Shiloh could slip into that pattern of just. And it really just has everything to do with where your focus is, and yeah. and an awful lot of established. Uh, you know, all about us churches are really just fulfilling their own desires. And it really has nothing to do with obedience to God or, you know, and, and there'll be people that would fight me on that because they'd say, well, then what's all the praise singing about and everything else? Well, what kind of praise music do you sing? The kind we like. Yeah. You know, what kind of books do you study in your Sunday school class? The ones we pick. You know, what kind of mission activities do you do? The ones we feel like supporting, you know, okay, who's driving? Mm -hmm. Who's in charge here? Mm -hmm. And is your church welcoming? Well, of course it is. Then what if I bring some people that you wouldn't normally associate with? Will they feel welcome? Probably not. Yeah. So there's a real world of difference between church and Christianity. Mm -hmm. Let's go back. I, I did the rant anyway. <laughs> so Christians have often disputed as to whether what leads to leads the Christian home is good actions or faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. So what do you think he means by that? Christians have often disputed as to whether what leads the Christian home is good actions or faith in Christ. Well, I wrote in the margin and I read this chapter the first time. Like. A couple of weeks ago, and I think that's when I wrote this because you had this in a sermon, but I wrote in the margin that it reminded me of the whole libertine versus mm. legalistic yeah, thing, yeah. because the legalistic response to me is the one that the people that are saying good actions are the key. Um, because there's, they say like, that like charity is the most important thing. Like, and it even talks about like, I love it. He says one set where one set of these type of people were accused of saying good actions are all that matters. The best good action is charity. The best kind of charity is giving money. The best thing to give money to is the church. So hand over $10,000 and we'll see you through. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and he says like, that's nonsense. And the answer is like, yeah, good actions are great, but good actions done with that idea is not great because then your motives in question. Mm -hmm. Um, and that sounded a little bit like the legalistic thing to me because they were talking, like you were talking about how like that legalistic thing is like, well, if we follow these rules, we're right. good. Right. Um, but then the other set that he talks about says like, well, faith's the only thing that matters. And 
as long as you have faith, you can do whatever you want. Which sounded very libertine to me. Because that's like, so sin, party, do whatever you want. Because you believe in Christ. You have faith. You're good. Yeah. Um, and he says that's ridiculous, too, because if your faith involves not taking any notice of what Christ says, then that's not faith. Right. And I, you know, in a sort of weird way, I think that validates what I was ranting about a minute ago, <laughs> that there's an awful lot of people who have religion, but they don't have faith. Yeah. You know, and... um their religion is governed by their tastes. Faith in Christ is governed by his leadership. It just changes everything. Mm -hmm. So though Christianity seems at the first to be all about morality, all about duty and rules and guilt and virtue, yet it leads you on out of all of that into something beyond. That's a brilliant statement. <laughs> It doesn't need any interpretation in my no. mind, but. Yeah, I like, because from there he says that we kind of have a glimpse of a country where people don't talk about those things except per maybe as a joke. Yeah. Um, And that like, that they're so filled with goodness that what like we would say is goodness, but they don't have a name for it. It just is. Like, they don't need to call it anything because, well, and that's what I like. He says they don't have a name for it because they don't need to think about it. They're too busy thinking about the source. You know what? I would really like to, you know, I, I'm no C.S. Lewis scholar either, but I think I'm familiar with most of his major works. And I certainly have read quite a few, fiction and nonfiction. Mm -hmm. I really have read a lot of C.S. Lewis. But I don't recall that he's ever, I don't know if there are any statements extant that refer to John Wesley's theology. But I'm telling you right now, that is the Wesleyan core principle of personal holiness and perfect love. What he's describing, Lewis is describing, is what Wesley called perfect love. Mm -hmm. He often gets misunderstood in his time and in our times because it sounds like Wesley was trying to say that we could be perfect before we die. What he was saying was that you could have a perfect love for Christ, and that could happen before you die, where your love is just exactly the way C.S. Lewis just described it. Mm -hmm. that your devotion to Christ is like that. And, and so, like I said, I, I listen to C.S. Lewis say things like that, and I go, gosh, that, that's John Wesley, you know. And, and they're both British guys who are well-educated and have wonderful uh, oratory skills and everything. And yet C.S. Lewis still said it better in a way. Um, but Wesley was speaking the vernacular of his day, too. People just don't realize that. Yeah. And uh, in his journals, it, it's really it's funny to listen. You know, he has to have interpreters to speak Welsh for him and stuff like that um, and he's often impressed because people who are uneducated and ignorant seem to grasp his meaning which he intentionally takes down to a lower level by his way of thinking and yet he's still Wesley speaking that 
highfalutin English that he spoke. And I'm thinking, you know, if that doesn't prove the Holy Spirit does an awful lot of interpreting, too. Yeah. I count on that every time I preach, let me tell you. Well, this is pretty cool. We have finished book three. We finished We made it through book three. One more. So I feel like there's something else we should say, but for the life of me, I can't. I don't know what it is. Um, Friends, I think we've... we've, uh, had a terrific discussion about book three in particular uh the the these practical matters of of the or what what lewis calls virtues basically Mm -hmm. of christianity Mm -hmm. now we're going to shift gears and go into something that well if you are not curious about this then this should pique your curiosity because the whole concept of the trinity yeah is a mystery that no christian can ever fully express and so we're about to hear one of the greatest theologians of all time try to help us understand the trinity and i can't wait i think it's going to be fascinating (laughs) so bethany you got anything else to say i don't well friends we want to thank you for listening as i always like to say because i mean it with all my heart you honor us we're no better than you or anyone else but you give us a place in your lives to help stimulate your critical thinking and we're honored by that and the most blessed thing you can do to acknowledge the gift you get is use your critical thinking skills uh when things happen in your world don't react think (laughs) you know don't don't respond emotionally and irrationally think and when you're proposed when when people propose you know strange and and interesting ideas to you think them through you know and uh, that's a that would be a gift that you could give us by telling us about how this program has helped to change the way you think now we would like to remind you that your comments are very much appreciated and welcomed you can send them a variety of ways as you hear every week you can send them through the facebook group knowing god with heart and mind if you're not a member you can just find it and ask to join and i will personally invite you to join you can learn about me and shiloh and bethany for that matter by visiting shilohum.org that's s h i l o h u m dot Org, and uh, you will find out about our wonderful staff and our great group of lay leaders and a whole congregation full of awesome people. You'll find out that there's something going on at Shiloh virtually all the time. <laughs> and uh, you'll find out that we love the Bible and that our whole culture is built around discipleship and devotion to Christ and doing it in such a way that we benefit our community and those beyond. So with that being said, God bless you and goodbye.